Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Why We Geek, the podcast where we take a specific piece of geek fandom, a specific piece or facet of geek culture, and we talk about how much we love it, and we also go into its future, its past, and all of that fun stuff. And even though I know that this video is coming out really late, and I am sorry about that, guys, but I, like, literally struggled on this particular video because, well, I had an opportunity in front of me, an opportunity that wasn't going to it was probably not going to come again. And so at that point, even though I had other ideas that I could have done something with, <clears throat> I really wanted to do this one. And today we're going to be talking about Castlevania. Uh, Castlevania is, we're going to be, and here's the thing, we're going to be going into all of it. I know that we have our bonus episode, which goes into the TV series on Netflix, but this is going to be the series as a whole. And of course, I'm being joined because uh, I do I do this via a panel. We do have kind of a small panel because unfortunately, a lot of um, my friends and fellow YouTubers aren't necessarily as big into Castlevania as I am, except this man, because, well, when I get crap wrong, he has to come out there and correct me. So uh, we're going to welcome Stephen Romney of Studio Ghost Utah of Romney's Reviews from the Shelf. Romney, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, coincidentally enough. Castlevania is just the kind of game that makes you forget that you were supposed to record something when you're supposed... Like, this is something that we probably... He wasn't didn't want to mention, but we were supposed to record this on a different night, but I forgot. And the reason I forgot was because I was playing Castlevania. Well, well, in your defense, Romney, I'm going to at least say this. At least you were honest about it, you know? Because, <laughs> like, you could have easily just said, uh, lag, you know? And at that point, it's like, well, I have to accept that. But, uh... Yeah, I'll at least I'll at least applaud you on your honesty. But yes, because of Castlevania, um, this thing got delayed. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking Castlevania. And the reason I say that this is a rare opportunity, guys, is as of right now, Castlevania is discontinued. We can we can all pretty much call it discontinued. It does have pachinko machines that are out there right now, but <clears throat> the likelihood of Konami Oh, Konami, we love you so much right now. And by that, I mean hate you with a blinding passion. Um, there's a good chance we're not going to get anything else under this particular brand name. Now, before people jump down our throats, we're aware of Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. So the legacy, in a way, will live on. But it won't be under that brand name. So we have to at least acknowledge that. And I'm not saying we, we can't talk about Bloodstain tonight. We can, because it is it is the the legacy of uh, Koji Igarashi's Castlevania games. But tonight is about Castlevania as a whole and how that this franchise has shaped, affected us throughout our lives. So the best place to start, obviously, as we do with any Why We Geek, is our first time as exposed to the series. So... <clears throat> That's going to be the first question that we answer. Like, what was the first time we got exposed to the series? And then also the first time when we were legitimately hooked on the series. Um, for me, it's a little weird because I'm, I'm the old fart here. Um, and I just so happen to remember being a kid and just barely getting our NES. And then my neighbor, my next door neighbor uh, says, oh, oh, yeah, you've been playing Mario and you've been playing Zelda. But have you been playing Castlevania? And I'm like, Castlevania, what's that? And all he had to do was say, this is a game where you get to kill Dracula. And I'm like, sold, bring it over. And we played it. And I actually remember having a very bitter 
uh, viewpoint towards it because Castlevania is hard. Um, and after that, like, my older brother was getting into the Castlevania series, but I wasn't because we actually did buy the, well, the legacy stands for itself. We bought a copy of Simon's Quest. And even though my brother liked it, I, I knocked it as many times as I possibly could. I'm like, it's not as good as Mario. Um, it, it took, actually, uh, Castlevania 3 for me to get hooked. We rented it one day, or one weekend, and I was just absolutely bedazzled by it. It was like, Castlevania 1 and 2 didn't exist. Their badness to me didn't exist, and I was forever hooked. The music also did it for me. It's, it's funny because now these days, you know, it's the music that really is the first thing that comes to my mind with Castlevania. But for the for me, the first time I was actually hooked on the series was Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse, and I was hooked ever since. Romney, when was your first time with Castlevania, and then also when were you first hooked? All right, well, the first time I was kind of exposed to Castlevania, because it was one of those franchises that just kind of dropped off the radar. Like, we played NES stuff at the daycare I stayed at, but... We were basically limited to a few games, which was basically Mario, Duck Hunt, and the Tiny Toons NES game, which, oddly enough, was created by Konami, coincidentally. And then, I guess, like, the first time I somewhat tried it, I don't know if it was either Castlevania, the Castlevania Adventure or Castlevania Legends, one of the Game Boy Color titles, or Game Boy, just old-school Game Boy titles, I tried, a friend, or another kid, I wouldn't say a friend, another kid at the daycare brought it, we were passing around, like, games for the Game Boy. I tried it. It was difficult. I didn't really pay too much attention with it because I just wasn't a fan of Game Boy because by that point, Game Boy Color was already a thing, and so most people had moved on. But the first time I actually got into Castlevania wasn't until I was in high school, and it all started... Now, my dad, he tries. He really does. And sometimes he gets a hit, sometimes he doesn't when it comes to video games. I mean, I still remember the year that Nintendo kind of ruined everyone's Christmas with the Wii shortages, and yes, no one came out of that Christmas looking good, like, at all. But the following year, he gave my both me and my younger brother DSs, and he bought four games, and he was basically going off what the guy at the play-and-trade, that back when they existed, he basically went off the guy's recommendation because he had delivered some stuff for him before and didn't know jack about games. And my younger brother got stuck with the DC Comics shovelware games because that he was just like, oh, he li I guess he likes Superman, so I'll give him Superman Returns and the Justice League game. And for me, he gave me Avatar The Last Airbender, which, uh, no, no, I think I sold that. And then the other game was Castlevania Portrait of Ruin. Now... I wasn't as enthralled with it at first because I was just not sure. One, it was like a case of, oh, well, I wanted a DS game that used more of the touchscreen, whereas this was more traditional. I hadn't really played the franchise before. But then as I kept playing it, and as I, I kind of it started when I let my older brother play it, and we kind of had unwritten rules that if someone owned a game, you had to get their permission if you wanted to play ahead of where they were. And I figured, oh, well, it's a portable game. You can play ahead all you want because I'm probably not going to beat it. But then when he started explaining some of the stuff he found, I figured, okay, I'll give it another shot. And then I was fairly hooked. It wasn't... Portrait of Ruin didn't completely win me on in the sense that I was a diehard fan, but it did get me to want to check out the other games. Now, granted, 
Portrait of Ruin does have its problems, especially being not left-hander friendly, which was kind of one of the reasons why I still haven't beaten Sisters mode. But then when I got Dawn of Sorrow, that was when I started actually getting more into it because Portrait Ruin gave me the first taste. Dawn of Sorrow was when I actually got hooked into the mythology. Now, granted, I played Dawn of Sorrow before Aria of Sorrow, so I was still jumping into the middle of the story, but there I was actually starting to get into it. I mean, when you consider, oh, you have someone who was basically prophesized to be the next Dracula, actively fighting to not be the next Dracula, that was also the first time, like, oh, there are multiple endings, there's this, there's that, and the other, and it was around, and so it was the DS games that really got me into the franchise and made me want to go back and play the G Game Boy Advance titles, even the NES stuff, and even the PlayStation titles, both the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2. So you mentioned Dawn and you mentioned Portrait. Did Order of Ecclesia play into that at all? Because, like, here's the thing. I, I've known numerous people who love the, G the DS generation of Castlevania games, and they literally can't pick a favorite amongst the titles well by the time order of ecclesia was on it was announced i was already that was when i was already well hooked i'd already beaten portrait well the main story of portrait i still haven't beaten sisters mode richter mode or old axe armor mode but i'd beaten like that was when i had already like gone through a lot of the games dawn of sorrow aria of sorrow curse of darkness lament of innocence symphony of the night so by the time order of ecclesia was coming out and it's still one of my favorite games not just of the franchise but favorite DS games, that was when I was already a diehard fan at that point. Okay. All right. So there we go. We we have one basically being brought in during the DS generation, which is, I, I mean, here's the thing. Game Boy Advance and, and DS are considered some of the best times that this series has ever had. Because uh, even the weakest games amongst them, which um, I'm trying to think, GBA, it was it was either Harmony of Dissonance, uh, Dissonance or, or Circle of the Moon financially. And then with the DS, I believe it was Dawn of Sorrow that was the weakest financially for them. But it's still, for, for Castlevania fans, that was the best time ever. Because everything was pretty much figured out on the handhelds with Koji Igarashi while they were still experimenting to try and bring Castlevania to 3D. Because it's transition... It didn't happen very well. And, and some would argue that it never did. I... I'd be one of the people to argue, yes, it did. It did actually get a good 3D iteration. It just took way longer than a lot of the mainstay franchises to do it. Well, yeah, that and it's all, it's kind of tricky because Castlevania in 3D, because you kind of have different caps. You have people that are wanting 3D Castlevania, but they want it 3D like Symphony of the Night, or you have people who want it 3D like the previous titles that were level-based. And granted, they're... They have their flaws, but the 3D ones for the PS2 do a decent job. I mean, Lament of Innocent was kind of meh, but Curse of Darkness figured, okay, well, we can't be exactly like Castlevania, so that's why you didn't play as a Belmont. They gave you a character, and they basically designed something that felt like Castlevania, but at least was different enough that it wouldn't be as weird. Granted, the yeah. story still kind of goes off the rails towards the end. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, the only thing you could call legitimately Castlevania about Curse of Darkness was the setting, uh, because you were in the era of Castlevania three, so you did have you did actually have Trevor Trevor Belmont showing up, and I, I think I think there is a mode to play as Trevor, isn't there? Yep, there is a Tre there's a Trevor mode. I yet to beat that mainly because with how grindy Curse of Darkness was in terms of grinding the summoned devils. By that point, it was very much, I was so used to having the Summon Devils that switching to 
Trevor, who doesn't have any summon devils, it's just the whip and the sub weapons, was pretty jarring. And the thing I've noticed with a lot of the Igarashi games is that they've loaded it with a lot of extras. I mean, Lament of Innocence, not only you've got like three modes. You had the main mode with Leon, then you had the second mode with Wahim, and then the third mode with Pumpkin. Yes. Um it's I forgot about Pumpkin actually. <laughs> but yeah. So <coughs> There you go. We you have our origins. I'm I'm from the A bit generation, um, and and going on forward, and then you you came in with the DS generation, which is considered one of the best times to be a Castlevania fan. Yeah, I kind of um, I kind of consider myself a bit of a Castlevania archaeologist, where I started with the new stuff and then started going back playing the old stuff that I could find. Like this was before I had access to virtual console of any kind, so I had to actually go and hunt down. GBA copies of Circle of the Moon and Aria of Sorrow had to which is no which is no easy task because a lot of because I mean like trying to find a used copy of Aria of Sorrow was not was not easy yeah I got lucky and it was not cheap either like I I, like I still I paid a pretty penny but the hardest one was Symphony of the Night out of all of them because that was the hardest one to actually find an original copy of especially when you have the little easter egg of putting that game in a CD player and finding the secret hidden music track that it was it was just funny just how they back when they liked loading it up with extras that weren't locked behind a paywall. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually I, I completely forgot about the track, but yeah. Um, Symphony of the night is a sad one for me because I literally played the crap out of that disc, both in a CD player as well as, as physically, let me put it this way. Symphony of the night. I'm glad eventually got a digital download because I probably paid for symphony of the night three times because I ran those discs out so hard, just playing them over and over and over and over again, that a digital release just made sense by that point. Um, especially since the one the one that actually got me mad was um, I purchased my third copy by the time the digital release had happened, and so we're, I paid a pretty penny, guys, because I got I got like a greatest hits version, and it was like I want to say like eighty five dollars for it, and that's cheap considering. And then I looked at the download price. I'm like. You son of a because <laughs> it was like it was like five or six dollars. It was on sale at that time when I got it. Yeah. Um and so at that point, like Symphony of the Night has always stayed on my PS3 or on my PS4 just because there's always just that one time where you want to pick it up again. Yeah, and for me, I still like I although I still have my PlayStation copy, I still play it mainly on my Vita because it comes included with Dracula X Chronicles, where you get it upon beating the game. Which, again, was awesome, because that was one I missed out on, because, again, DS generation, and that was, the, that was the horse I decided to back in that race, was Nintendo, and to be fair, that was probably the smarter choice in the long run. In the long run, yes. Um, because here's the thing, Sony was a little bit of a gamble for a lot of people, but here the, the part that, that probably made you regret it was a lot of your favorite series eventually went to Sony, and then you had to come, you had to be Johnny-come-lately to to all of those revelations so next question that we have here is we got we've gone into our best games it's only fair that we go into what we consider to be the worst of the franchise at least for our recollection and i know that we're looking at this fondly but the series as a whole has had a lot of issues over the years i mean as we as we just barely pointed out the translation to 3D took far too long, and by the time they actually got it right, there was no interest uh, in, a, in a Castlevania 3D game. Everybody was demanding more Koji Igarashi handheld games. So, Romney, what would you consider to be the worst Castlevania you, game you've played? Like, you had to literally 
by worst I mean you had to literally force yourself to make your way through it because you had to know how the story ended. Well, there hasn't been a Castlevania game that I've played that has made me have that reaction, but there are some titles that I consider kind of weaker. Like, out of the ones I played, there are ones that, although the story was interesting, mechanically, they had some problems that you can't really ignore. And it's kind of a two-way tie for me between Circle of the Moon and Lament of Innocence. Now, I loved Lament of Innocence, especially when you're playing on Joachim mode, mainly because it fixes some of the problems that I had when controlling Leon. And that's just because it was hard to aim with the whip. It kind of tried doing this auto-aiming theme. I mean, to the N64 game's credit, they at least had a better way of measuring the accuracy. But with there, it the story was weak in the sense of kind of how they had to explain the vampire killer and all these other elements. It had kind of the weaker story and weaker mechanically. And Circle of the Moon kind of, is kind of in, the similar, in a similar vein where the story is weak, but kind of par for the course, so much so they recycled it for Harmony of Dissonance. But the main issue was the mechanics of the DSS system where you have the two magic cards and the fact that you couldn't really get all of them on a single playthrough. And they tried remedying it with the subsequent playthroughs of like, oh, the Gradius mode and Thief mode and all these other modes. But it was very much a case of, yeah, kind of bleak, although it still was enjoyable as a Castlevania game. That one, out of the GBA trilogy... I would consider kind of the weakest of the three, mainly because it also had kind of the clunkier movements because you can't run a run right away. That's the first thing. You're stuck in the slow Belmont walk and keep as someone who went from Dawn and Aria of Sorrow to Circle of the Moon, that was very jarring. So those would be my two. I wouldn't say like worst. Oh, I absolutely hate them. I would just say out of the ones I've played, they would be kind of the weakest one that I kind of lost interest just because mechanically and story-wise I just got bored would be the spin-off Castlevania Judgment. I mean, at first I thought a Castlevania fighting game sounded awesome, but when you realize, oh yeah, it's for the Wii and it's very simplistic controls, I mean, they try, the music was awesome, I have opinions about Takeshi Obata's reimagining, especially with the frequent jokes of calling Simon Belmont Beltmont, but... That one, it was the case of, that one was like, okay, very much fanservice for the sake of fanservice The only reason I eventually hunted it down was because it could connect with Order of Ecclesia. Yeah, so, see, the sad part is I played Judgment too, and I was very disappointed by it. Especially, when I heard it was a Castlevania fighting game, the first thing that, th that immediately told me it was not going to be good was that it was on the Wii. <laughs> because at that point, it's like, okay, how... Keep in mind, guys, Smash Brawl had not happened yet. Like, we hadn't had a lot of good example games of simplistic Wii controls. Everything was motion control. And so at that point, that that was why I, I was worried about it. Because I'm like, if it was a good fighting game, it would. I think I even said this to a friend. If it was a good fighting game, it would have come out on PS3 and, and Xbox 360. And so at that... And then on top of that, some of the translations were so weird. Like, I, I remember the Beltmont, and I'm just like... Okay, just here's the fix. You want to call him Shimon Belmondo because it's Japanese? Just just do that. I'm I'm okay with that because I've I've heard Shimon Belmondo, and and I'm okay with it. But the thing that actually threw me off was the little girl. I just I could not stand her. Yeah, Maria, even in her original game, is a bit. She's kind of considered a bit of a joke character, kind of the 
I because even although they've addressed it in Dracula X Chronicles, where she's basically the kind of character that you can play as if you're wanting to be a long range fighter, but in the concept of the story, when you're considering how Dracula reacts and how everyone else reacts, it's very much the whole reason she's able to get as far as she does is because everyone kept underestimating her. And yeah, the her characterization in Judgment, I mean, the story mode alone. Well, the, the thing that, that killed me, and, and again, this is just, this is a me problem, so I, I entirely get it, but, like, if you ever set her up again, or, no, it was in the story mode. If you played Maria in the story mode, you eventually would come across, um, I can't remember her name, the the Countess, uh, Car- uh, Carmilla. You'd come across her, and the discussion wasn't even about, you horrible vampire, you should die, it was... Wow, those boobs are amazingly big. How did you get amazingly big boobs? And I was like, yeah, that that's pretty much Maria's whole story mode is is boob envy. That's pretty much her entire character yeah, in judgment. Yeah, and, and that bugged me because around that time I also came across a lot of anime that were was doing that and I always thought it was kind of a dull joke to land on kind of thing. <laughs> and part of that is just cuz all the girls I knew never had this discussion, never had this problem. So maybe I just never got it. So Judgment, I, w- I will say, is one of the worst. Is it the worst game I've played? No. That would probably have to go to 64. I I cannot think of a single game that actually, like... Okay, guys, I had a bit of a temper as a kid. <laughs> but I never threw my controller. Because I knew how much that thing cost. And I also knew that it would be a bad idea because the game room that I used to play in was in my grandfather's old house, and so there was a bunch of trophy cases all over the place, so if I threw the thing, I'd be breaking a trophy case somewhere. This time, I took the risk. I played as Reinhardt, and I I know a lot of people will say, like, that's your first mistake right there, because you should have played as Carrie, because Carrie at least controls better. (coughs) But it's a Castlevania game. You want to play as the guy with the whip. And I played that for, I want to say about, I want to say about an hour, two hours. And after that, like, I, and my, my dad actually tells this story. I was dead quiet. I was not making any reactions. I was not, any, so, like, if I was reviewing a game now, that wouldn't have happened. But I was dead quiet. It was flatlined in the room. And then all of a sudden, he's, he remembers me calmly going over to my N64, turning it off, turning off the TV, And going into, like, full-on meltdown. I threw the controller. I threw some of the wound-up controllers. I was... And, and here's the thing, too. Like, he, he says... Because uh, I don't remember this very well. So I'll take his word for it. But I was red-faced. I had tears down my eyes. I was snot-bubble-crying to some extent. I was mad. Um, and part of that also might have been... Because part of the reason I can't remember... I was sick and I was probably, and I was on meds at the time. So at that point, it's entirely possible that that happened. But yeah, I I don't remember entirely. I remember being angry. I remember tossing the controller, but that's about all I, uh, about all I remember. I don't even remember being quiet about it. And it was probably because in my head, I'm going, really? This is what we're doing? We're we're having skeletons with chainsaws? What the hell? And, and so at that point, I actually gave up Castlevania for a long time. And the other part that didn't help this, I had had access to Symphony of the Night. I actually didn't go the Nintendo route originally. 
I was strongly urged by my brother to go the Sony route because we were Street Fighter fans and Alpha had just barely came out on PlayStation. So I had played Symphony of the Night before before Castlevania 64. And considering how awesome Symphony was, I just couldn't understand how this was so bad. Um, so that, that also played into it. And it's also one of the reasons that my favorite game of, of the franchise overall is Symphony of the Night. I have no problem picking that up from time to time and just playing through it. I don't even need to beat it anymore. I can just pick it up, brand spanking new game, and go as far as I want, and I, I still get enjoyment out of it. And so as a cat, so as a cat, well, you kind of already answered that your your favorite is probably uh, Symphony of the, well, is it Symphony of the Night? Uh, no, it's Order of Ecclesia. Or Order of Ecclesia. And, and you know what? I can understand why, because I actually missed the Order of Ecclesia boat. I, I missed it when it came out. I, I got it like six months later. I, I, here's what happened. I was in school and I wasn't paying attention to release dates as much as I probably should. And by that point, my friend decided to gush. He was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I'm like, what are you talking about? Castlevania Order of Ecclesia. It's out? Yeah, dude, it's been out for like six months. And so I came six months later and, oh, geez, that game was awesome. <laughs> in fact, I, it's one of the things that, that makes me the most excited about Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is it's adopting a lot of ideas from Order, uh, which really, really works for me. So we've gone into the best and we've gone into the worst. Um, I'm sorry, were you about to have a thought there? Uh, well, mainly it was more of an anecdote relating to Order of Ecclesia, because I followed that release date. It was actually kind of funny because I had amassed like a sizable collection of DS games. That was like the one game I was like super excited for that I was selling a bunch of games that I didn't play anymore, was putting down a bunch of allowance money, so much so that even my older brother put down money on the deposit for me, because this was back when I did pre-orders at GameStop. And so that was like one of that, that was like one of those pre-order adventures that I went on to make sure that I paid off the game so that I could get it when it came out and basically play the crap out of it. And so yeah, I was kind of the opposite, where I watched the, rele the release date religiously, dug up any details that were leaked onto the internet, be it through YouTube, through various sites like IGN. I was I was one of those people that would, like, follow that, that it, I followed it religiously, took any details I could find until it came out. Yeah, and, and I saw a few trailers for it. I liked the idea that we were going in different direction with characters. <clears throat> but around that time, I was also doing college, and so at that point, couldn't keep track of the release date. But I'm so glad I played it when I did. And actually, one of the things that irritates the crap out of me is, you know, we have the GBA games now on the Wii U Virtual Console, and there's been talk about bringing the, the Castlevania DS games over. And the first one that, that gets brought up every time is Dawn of Sorrow. And, and guys, I get that. I get why they decide that, but I've always been of the camp of order of ecclesia should be the first one. Cause that's the one that has the most, uh, praise that, or at least that I ever saw portrait of room was like a meh and dawn of sorrow had complaints about it. But order of ecclesia, everybody, everybody that I knew agreed. It was amazing. And, and it should have been done again. <laughs> In fact, I, I remember actually following a rumor about order of ecclesia two coming out for three DS and it never happened, but man, that would have been awesome. Well, um, sort of. The real question is, where knowing what happens in Order of Ecclesia, there's nowhere for the story to really go. That's the real thing. Yeah, I think that... I'm trying to remember the, the exact... Order of Ecclesia 2, I think, was supposed to be like a zero title. It was actually supposed to go into 
but you didn't play as as Shinoa. You didn't play as her. She was a side character in it. You actually saw her get to the point of losing her memory. Um, was it Albus? Is that the other guy that that was there? Uh, yeah, and even then with Albus's story, you pretty much more or less get the gist of it. Like, there's not really much of a story that can really be expanded with Order of Ecclesia. Just, and this is coming from someone who's beaten it enough times that I was able to beat both Shinoa and Albus modes on level one hard mode. That's how thoroughly I've beaten that game. <laughs> yeah, but at that point, I, I would not have, like, even if we would have been treading on a familiar ground, I would not have cared. Just because that was an amazing game to play through. <clears throat> um, so we've gone through the best and the worst, but Castlevania is one of those franchises that's tried everything. It's tried to it's tried to reinvent itself into so many franchises um, that it's kind of amazing we haven't had like these weird spinoffs into kind of like kind of like with Mario how we have the Mario Party franchise now and we have Mario Super Mario Strikers and Mario Kart we've actually had some other some other weird dives with Castlevania and so the next question that I have and and is actually suggested is what is the oddest type of Castlevania game you've ever played. Um, give it, it could be odd just because of what console it landed on or its overall feel. I mean, Castlevania Judgment is very, very much one of these examples where it's a fighting game based on the Castlevania series. So what, what would you consider to be the oddest Eww. game you've played in the series? Well, aside from Judgment, I did, I did try ROMs of some of the other spinoffs that people make. Because, I mean, people are aware, yeah, Kid Dracula is a spinoff. You also have Konami YY World. I didn't get to try Death Jr. because Death Jr., which blindsided me when I first found out, I was like, oh, Death Jr. is technically in the Castlevania canon because it's also made by Konami. But yeah, I think the weird, the one I would consider the weirdest would probably have to be Judgment because I haven't really played a lot of the other weirder ones. Like, I haven't played the mobile puzzle game because that's, ex or at least it was exclusive to Apple. And the uh, mobile games, well, they were never released stateside, so... <coughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I've played the Kid Dracula games, and I don't hate them. I, I thought they were... <sighs> this is going to sound weird, but this is the only comparison I have to it. It's like Castlevania meets Mystical Ninja, because the style is very, is very similar to Mystical Ninja. But I wouldn't consider that the weirdest, because it's still played like a platformer. Um, so I could at least get there. <coughs> if anything... And yeah, Judgment, you could toss in there because it was a fighting game. The weirdest one that ever came came to my attention, and I still played it, and I still liked it. Um, I can't remember. I think it was called Harmony of Despair. Ah, uh, yes, that And it one. was the online Symphony of the Night-esque game where you could go through it as whomever in the Castlevania series you wanted to go, and you would play it like Symphony of the Night to an end goal. And I think they had some alternate maps that came out later, but around the time that I played, there was one map. And I can't even begin to explain to you guys how much of a guilty pleasure this thing was, because I'm not usually a guy that wants to beat his high score, doesn't really even care that he has one. And literally, I spent the entire day before my wedding playing Harmony of Despair with my brother. Just so that we could get high scores, so that we could get really cool weapons. And I think we worked on both Alucard. I worked on Alucard and Shinoa, and then he worked on, I think you could play as Richter. And 
was there was there a Simon model? Uh, I want to yeah. say there was a Simon model. I think so there he was. Worked, yeah, he worked on them, and then I no he no he didn't work on Simon. He worked on um, Ari of Sorrow one. Uh, Soma, Soma Cruz. He worked on him, and then I also worked on Shino uh, uh, and all and Alucard. And we just had the funnest time ever. This was technically like, this is, people are going to say I'm so boring, but this was my bachelor party, basically. Because I don't know how many times my friends were like, so they're going, well, we'll go get you a stripper or whatever. And my my brother pulled me aside and goes, what do you actually want to do? And I'm like, there's this one game I've heard about. And we literally spent the entire day, and that was my bachelor party playing Harmony of Despair. So there you go. People could put the weird comments in. I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> but that's 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 the weirdest game I've ever played because it was a Castlevania online game. Yeah, that I, I that's just two plus two equals fish. <laughs> yeah, that one mainly passed me by just because, well, it was very much a case of I none of my family wanted to pay for Xbox Live Gold, and for me, it was very. It wasn't even like oh, it's multiplayer, it's online. It was just like okay, if it was single player and they had the camera, you know, zoomed in the way it would be. In a single player game, I'd be fine with it. But it was the fact that the map was like so zoomed out that you could barely see them. Just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna put down the money for this because I know I myself probably wouldn't enjoy it as much. Um, when I played it, it wasn't it wasn't as zoomed out, but it was it was fairly zoomed out. Like you could actually see at least the lo- the floor below you and the floor above you. And so that was kind of weird because you could see like the enemies going along, and if you weren't paying attention properly, you'd get hit. Yeah. But yeah, I, I remember seeing the trailers where it was horribly zoomed out, and they were mm-hmm. trying to show the race. Yeah, it was very much and, the yeah. Smash Brothers camera model, which I'm thinking works for Smash Brothers, not really for Castlevania. Exactly. So yeah, there's the weirdest games that we've actually played. We've had the best. We've had the worst. Um. The other thing that I want to get into, obviously, because the Castlevania franchise has a huge amount of lore. Um, So much lore that it's been retconned and then redacted back into the story. Uh, So they've redacted the retcons. Because Castlevania 64 has been rejected out out of canon lore, I think, three times. And then brought back in. Uh, each time. Well, to a and, point, even Ega wasn't really consistent in regards. It just, at first, it was pretty much considered a side story separate and was out. But then, with Judgment, he decided to bring in Cornell, and that's what made the whole thing confusing. Yep. So, the, so to you, Romney, what is the best story that the, se- that the series tried to tell in a game to you? Hmm. Well... Off the top of my head, that would probably have to be the Sorrow games, both Arya and Dawn, mainly because you had, like, the prior stuff, and granted, some of the stories in Castlevania are kind of meh, because it's very much, oh, you're the Belmont, there's Dracula, go and beat him up and find the various collectibles, whereas the Sorrow games, and to a lesser extent, Order of Ecclesia, decided, okay, let's have it where you're not playing the Belmont, where you're not someone who has, like, who's fated to destroy Dracula, and you have a bit of a handicap. So with Order of Ecclesia, it's like, oh, the Belmont family died out. We have to come up with some other way to fight Dracula. Yeah, both both of them basically approached that. I mean, eventually the the Sorrow games gave you Julius Belmont. But by that point, like, nobody... Because if I remember correctly, in, in the earlier parts of the game, he was going under a different name. And at that point, the assumption was the Belmont family, family had long since died out. Yeah. And, and handed their, their heritage over to... Um, the Morrises. Well, sort of. Kind of 
and time to go into the full like encyclopedic knowledge here. It was handed to the Morrises around the time of the novel Bram Stoker's Dracula, which that raises a whole bunch of other questions, considering that Quincy Morris was trying to court Lucy Westenra, and yet the main character of Castlevania Bloodlines, which takes place after the events of the novel, is John Morris, his son, who apparently was there when his father killed Dracula, raising a bunch of other questions, but again, because <laughs> a lot of people forget- it's Castlevania, there's questions everywhere. Well, yeah, and the funny thing is that people kind of give Iga flack, but prior to Igarashi's involvement, there was no real organized timeline. No, it was very much, oh, you have an idea for a Castlevania game? Okay, we'll just roll with it. They didn't really focus on establishing a canon until Iga kind of came along and decided to organize it as part of his pitch for Symphony of the Night, which was the one of the first, well, not the first, because technically Simon's Quest, but this was like the first time that it was going in a new genre, but also being a direct sequel to a previous Castlevania game, Rondo of Blood, which is why it was actually called Akumajo Dracula X Nocturne in the Moonlight, because it was meant to be Castlevania X, and that would be the series of exploration games that became the main franchise. But back on point, the Belmonts after Richter, Richter getting under the control of Shaft during the events of Symphony of the Night, Basically, the Belmont family lost the ability to use the Vampire Killer because Richter dropped the ball, and so it was bequeathed over time to the Morris family, which didn't have the, and I kid you not, it's called the Belmont Warlord Chromosome that allows them to use the Vampire Killer without sapping their own life, because anyone, if a normal person were to try to use the Vampire Killer, it would basically drain their life away. So you first had Quincy Morris, who purportedly dies after killing Dracula in the novel because he doesn't have that chromosome and the whip kills him. Same thing happens with John Morris in Blood at the end of Bloodlines, sort of. They still beat Dracula, but he also has his life drained. So then you get to Portrait of Ruin, where the Morris family effectively asserts their ownership of the vampire killer in the form of Jonathan Morris defeating the ghost of Richter Belmont that is still residing within the whip, thereby breaking the curse of causing people to die when they try using the whip. And then somehow between the gap of Portrait of Ruin and the Demon Castle War, which is the final appearance of Dracula in 1999, which sets the stage for the Sorrow Games, the whip was then handed back to the Belmont family because they had enough time to recover, and the person who defeated Dracula in 1999 was Julius Belmont. And then in and then in Aria of Sorrow, he's wandering around Dracula's castle with amnesia, so the only thing he can remember is the first letter of his name, J., but it's not until after Soma learns the truth that he is meant to be the next Dracula that Julius regains his memory, thus leading to the big, very terrifying, but also awesome boss battle against Julius in the in the castle prior to you going on the route to the true ending. Yeah, so, I mean, we've, we've gone over a lot of lore there, guys. And, and the, the bottom line is, is that it's all amazing. It's one of those things that really makes me sad because... <sighs> there's so much lore that they could have easily done so many more games just to add into it. And it, and it would have worked. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I will get to the reboot in a second because it needs to be talked about, but so you, so you're bringing up the sorrow games considering what they actually did for, for the lore. And here's the thing. I would agree with you. I actually like that idea that they tried to take Castlevania to a whole new setting to trying to say that all of this war is done. And now you, because the way that they kind of make Soma out is like he stands upon the edge of a knife. 
all he has to do is go one direction either way, and he could easily start these wars up again, or he could easily just continue the peace kind of thing. And so I always like that choice that Soma gets, and I like the fact that uh, Arya gives you multiple choice, uh, multiple endings, if I remember correctly, so you can have your Dracula ending. Like, you could go evil, or you can go good. Well, and it's not even really a choice. It's actually kind of... It's almost evil the way it's done, where... The, like, default bat... Because you have the good ending, which is basically Soma and Mina escape the castle, and the eclipse passed, so it's very much, okay, the eclipse has passed, you've escaped the castle, you get to go home. Whereas, when you're in, when you're pursuing the true ending, which, again, you have to make sure you have the right souls equipped to trigger... And then you go in to fight Graham Jones, who is the main guy running the castle... And then you're on the path to the true ending. If you die during the final boss battle to get the true ending, that triggers the bad ending where Soma becomes Dracula. And at first, like, okay, it's cool. But when you die on that battle over and over again, and you see the same cutscene over and over again of Julius approaching Soma saying, it's time to keep my promise to you. I'm just like, okay, I get it. Let me just get back to the battle so I can actually beat this effing game. Yeah, exactly. But but I still liked how they did it. Where where if you lo- if you lost, you did become Dracula. You got the bad ending, and that's the way it goes. And then if you got the true ending, you got to walk away from it. Um, I will, however, say my favorite is more for one scene than anything else. Um, I will always have an affection for Symphony of the Night, and one of the things that I had the the most affection for is I played all the way through Symphony of the Night, uh, my first time. And thought Richter was the final boss. I found out months later that no, there's a whole other castle. And I'm just like, there's more to this game? Because back in the day, like, we didn't really have internet by that point. So you couldn't look this crap up. And so I played through it again. And that scene that you get with, um, with Alucard and Dracula is probably one of the best scenes that I think has ever been done in the Castlevania series. Maybe... Not I'm actually gonna say not including the sorrow games and also a lot of the stuff that Order of Ecclesia tried to do, um, <laughs> because of the and it's one of those things that I actually kind of hope we get some kind of reference to in the Netflix series is that discussion between Alucard and Dracula of their of Alucard's mother Lisa and the fact that she was a peace loving sort and that she wouldn't have wanted Dracula to go to war but Dracula is Dracula. So it just can't, can't be avoided. So I will always love that moment. Uh, and a lot of the lore that's told within symphony of the night is just amazing to me. I, I actually did find it very interesting. They, they made Richter Belmont, the bad guy, uh, it, through, through a good portion of it. It's like, wow. It, Cause I mean, you are playing the son of Dracula. This is like the roles reversed. Little did we know late, years later, you would get the roles reversed again with Soma Cruz and, and Julius Belmont. Um, so we both mentioned like our, our favorite stories, but now I actually want to get into this one too, because there are a lot of loose ends left within the Castlevania timeline, obviously for the potential for another game, but well, the series isn't really going to be doing anything anytime soon. So, um, Romney, what is the one plot thread that you really wish would have been explored? Well, it's tricky. It's not necessarily the demon castle war itself. But more kind of, and this could either be as a comic or just as a story, would be kind of the way the whip made its way back to the Belmont family. Because when you consider that you have Jonathan Morris and he goes on his journey to basically 
assert his ownership of the whip, only to then have to bequeath it back to the Belmont family. That would be something I would at least want to see as like a scene or something to kind of explain just what it took to get the Belmont clan back to full power. Because again, well, Order of Ecclesia's plot holes aside, because Order of Ecclesia's place in the timeline raises more questions than it does answers. But you pretty much, again, like I mentioned, Richter falling to the dark side is what caused them to lose the ability to use the vampire killer. And that's why they had to basically hand the whip off to another family was because, oh, well, Richter was effectively tainted by the darkness. And so the whip wouldn't base, wouldn't work for him anymore. wouldn't work for any Belmont. And alternately, another gap in the story I would want to see would be, well, I guess for lack of a better term, I would want to see as a game how they would actually try to retell the novel of Dracula, like as an actual Castlevania game, as an actual Castlevania experience. <coughs> I'm there with you. I, I would actually like it. Um, just And for no other reason than... Um, I would, cause to me, cause to me, like a retelling of Dracula would be a, a sequel to Bloodlines, like a direct sequel to Bloodlines. Portrait of Ruin, it really isn't that cause it's based years later with Jonathan Morris, not John Morris. So at that point, I would like to have that moment where we actually get to see people like Von Helsing and Lucy in this story, in this kind of storytelling and what Igarashi or what Konami would have done with those characters. Um, but I'm actually I'm gonna parrot you a little bit because my two fa my two moments that I really want to have happen are a I want the Demon Castle Wars themselves I I want that in there like I I want what you want too Romney but like this is the one game that I really wish had been made is the Demon Castle Wars because there's so much that gets hinted at with it in the Sorrow games that it it makes it really like a big black hole in the timeline. That so much happened and we didn't get to see any of it. <clears throat> the other thing, and this is more of a... I don't know how you would make this work because you'd have to, to do a remake of the game. I want to see how Shaft turned Richter. I, I want to know... like Part of me wants to know that, that guilty pleasure. How you turned... What is... At that point, at that time, considered one of the most powerful Belmonts in the lineage, you turned him and made him the lord of the castle. And part of me actually wants to know, like, what did you do? What did you promise him to to get this to happen? Um, but the only way that I could see them doing it is by remaking Symphony of the Night, which I don't know if I want them to do. Because I, I, this is, again, the, the same problem I have with Final Fantasy VII. It's such a perfect storm. I don't know if I want you to go back in there and and potentially mess it up. Yeah, especially since the closest we had that we really need is the redub that they did for Dracula X, for the Dracula X Chronicles, where they basically re-recorded and retranslated all the dialogue so that it didn't feel as stilted, but also to better to better align with the canon that is outlined in the Dracula X Chronicles proper, so that way there isn't because that's the reason why a lot of games in the Castlevania series were retconned from the timeline was they raised a lot of contradictions, like most notably Castlevania Legends, raising the contra raising the contradiction of, okay, well, if Alucard met Sonia Belmont and Sonia is Trevor's mother, then why did Alucard go into that eternal slumber for what would basically be the equivalent of only 30 years? Now, the Netflix series poked fun at this and addressed this, 
But that would still be a very much a case of, okay, how do you explain that? But yeah, then there and, were... and the only way to, to not have to deal with that was to take Legends out. Yep. And then you also and... have all the games that are supposed to be at the <coughs> same time as Dracula. So Legacy of Darkness, Castlevania 64, and even Order of Ecclesia, which wasn't initially supposed to be part of the timeline, but was retroactively added in, again, raising a bunch of different questions all at once. Yeah, exactly. And and frankly, that time frame since we have so many different perspectives in that that por portion of the timeline, I don't want anything done with that because the only moment that I want out of that Symphony of the Night remake is I want to see Richter turned. And and for me that that could easily be done in like a comic book or, or something like that. I don't need another game to be able to do it. But the Demon Castle Wars that should have happened as as far as I'm concerned. Um so We've, we've talked about all, a lot of this stuff. Now we actually need to start talking about the elephant in the room because we're going to get this question. Lords of Shadow. Where did we actually... Because we're we've both shown that we're very, very adamant Castlevania fans. Where did we fall with Lords of Shadow? Did we like it? Did we hate it? Because it's probably like... I would dare say Lords of Shadow is probably one of the most controversial topics in the fandom today as to whether or not you liked it or or didn't like it. And it's mainly along the lines of, oh, so you like this God of War clone, or you like this horrible story that tried or this horrible story that tried to rewrite the mythos. And uh I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and put mine out here. I don't hate Lords of Shadow. Um and part and the and the main reason that I don't hate it is <clears throat> Again, uh, a lot of people like to point out that Lament of Innocence, uh, Innocence Devil May Cry ripoff. Um, to some extent, Curse of Darkness, De Devil May Cry ripoff. Uh, and then Lords of Shadow, Lords of Shadow 2 are God of War ripoffs. And I don't accept that as an argument because if God of War hadn't done it, or, or if Castlevania had done it right, we'd be calling God of War the Castlevania ripoff, okay? But the problem was is that we had to go through those years of just torment for anybody who wanted a decent 3D Castlevania game uh, to finally get one, only nobody cares at that given moment. Like, I remember following Lords of Shadow, and me and my brother were stoked about it. It was like, oh my gosh, we finally are, are getting what looks like a really good 3D Castlevania game. And he literally picked it up before I did. I had to wait on money to go get it. And he, he ended it um, halfway in and he was done. He didn't, he didn't like the story with the way the story was going. I finished it. And even though I will admit that the story takes some interesting liberties, I liked where it went. I liked the experimentation that it tried to do. Did it do it well? No, but I at least like the fact that we were experimenting with some things. Where, where did you fall with Lords of Shadow, Rami? Well, narratively, I liked what it tried to do. I stopped, like, I think I was about a third of the way through. Like, I stopped at around the boss battle with Cornell was where I stopped. And that was just because, mechanically, it just didn't feel like Castlevania. It did feel like that God of War clone where it felt kind of, it just, it didn't really scratch the itch that the Castlevania games tended to scratch for me. It was, I liked the story, and I'm sure if it was a movie or a graphic novel, I would probably enjoy that. But the presentation, mechanically, at least with the first Lords of Shadow game, I wasn't really won over. Like, I kind of had the inkling that I didn't enjoy it as much after the Golem boss battle that was our knockoff of Shadow of, Col of the Colossus. 
But by the time I tried beating the Cornell thing, it was very much, yeah, I just lost interest. Now, granted, didn't help that the Xbox was kind of in demand at my house, but also we had a TV where, and this was an annoying thing for games during the early launch of the early years of the 360 and PS3, where they would make this super teeny tiny text that you could only read if you had an HD TV. And so that made it not enjoyable. Granted, if I was playing on a console that, you know, didn't do that, I probably would have stuck with it, but that, it was the little things like that that just kind of made me less interested in, in going through. You know the thing that, that made me giggle that entire time during that era when they did that is that occasionally companies would acknowledge that the text was way too small and they'd patch it and make it bigger. And so there were a lot of games around the same time that I was playing that did that. I'm just like, you even know you made this too small. Yeah. Maybe you should have just made it bigger from the get-go. Yeah, like Lost Odyssey especially is guilty of this. And so that most certainly didn't help. Like, I looking into the story of Lords of Shadow, particularly Mirror of Fate and Lords of Shadow 2, I kind of like those liberties they took because I don't try to see it as, oh, they've erased the old timeline. It's just like, it's just an alternate universe. I kind of like what they tried to do, especially in terms of having Dracula be the hero of the second game. It's just one of those things where the presentation needed a little bit of work. Well, the and so I was gonna say, do you you know the big reveals of, of the series, right? So yeah, I, I spoiled um, them for myself because I didn't want to really go through. Prior to getting Lords of Shadow, I had already spoiled the ending for myself, and so it pretty much like looking at wikis and doing research prior to contemplating whether or not to get Mirror of Fate specifically. Well. Yeah, I was I was actually going to say you know the big spoiler from Mirror of Fate as well. So yeah, I I can kind of see your point of view and and actually in my opinion the weakest game of the trilogy. Granted, I didn't play Mirror of Fate on the 3DS. I I actually waited until the uh I eventually got a PS3 version of it. But um I will actually say that Lords of Shadow 2, in my opinion, is the weakest game of the trilogy, and the main reason that I I think it's weak is I never really ever wanted to see Dracula, or I didn't want to see Castlevania in a modern setting, or in a futuristic setting for that matter. I never ever wanted to see that. I always wanted it to be fantasy-based. And I'll admit, when I first saw the ending of, of Lords of Shadow, I was intrigued. I'm like, we've never seen this before. I'm not saying I want it, but let's see how it goes. And I almost put down Lords of Shadow 2 about two or three times in that first, like, third of the game, where you're having to go through the... You, you probably know the, the thing I'm talking about, where you're having to go through the chemical company and eventually find out they're experimenting to make people into Hell's Demons. And I'm just like... Uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where I didn't really like the fact that they added the devil as the enemy in this game, but then you made the devil look just silly. <laughs> In, in, in that respect. So even I'll admit, Lords of Shadow 2, in my opinion, is the weakest game of the trilogy. I love Mirror of Fate, what they try to do, and I love Lords of Shadow, simply because it was finally, after waiting so long, that 3D game that I've been wanting for so many years. It was a, three, it was a 3D Castlevania done right. Um, so yeah, there, there you go. Um, there's kind of our viewpoints. We both love and hate it. Uh, because that's really all you can do. I, I can understand people's perspectives of why you hate it, and I can understand why you love it, because there there are things to be able to take away from it. I did like the character of Gabriel Belmont. Um, the fact that we weren't, <coughs> at least for the first little bit, 
<laughs> excuse me. We weren't trying to dip into the well again and have Simon and Trevor and then Mirror of Fate happen. And, and I was at least okay with them trying to have these characters again. But now we're, we're almost coming up on an hour or so. The best way to be able to wrap this up is as we look to the future of Castlevania. As bleak even, as it may be. <coughs> I can't even get the sentence out. <clears throat> Not because I'm coughing, but as we look to the future of Castlevania... Which, there isn't one, guys. Let's just be honest. I mean, I've, I've teased this a couple of times that maybe Konami, when they realize that they've run out of money and they come back to, they come back begging to us, um, they'll come out with, like, a Castlevania collection. And that's the most that we can ever expect from Konami. But I would like to say that the Castlevania legacy is assured. Um, both through the Netflix series, because this is, this is a script that I can guarantee you guys, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. I would have guaranteed you this never was going to happen. And I remember hearing every rumor about a Castlevania TV series, live action, animated, movie, OVA, and then finally it's here. Like, I never, I would have always told you guys it's never going to happen, and <laughs> it's here. So we have that, but we also have Iga working on Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. And so at that point, that's what I'm saying is is the legacy of Castlevania now, is that even though we won't have anything <coughs> in the name, <coughs> so to speak, we do still have Castlevania living on and, and being able to enjoy it. So Romney, looking forward into the future, are you at least optimistic about where Castlevania's legacy is going or are you more pessimistic about it? And it's hard to say, like, in terms of Konami losing money, I mean, let's face it, even back in their heyday, most of the money Konami made didn't really come from gaming, it came from their pachinko machines and their fitness clubs. That's where most of their money was coming from and is coming from, so that's pretty much the business model they're adopting going forward. I mean, we may get some re-releases or some teased stuff, but nothing major, it's... Konami's public image, even if they did release anything new for the Castlevania, I don't want to give them my money, given all the crap they're pulling. <laughs> no, it, it's no, very, exactly. Yeah, it's very much the the, sh the dark parts of the company have been dro dragged into the light, so even if they did come out with something new that was like a brand new Castlevania, I, I wouldn't support it. And so, as for the legacy, it'll have its place in gaming history, because there's a lot of games in the market, just on Steam alone, that take inspiration from the Metroidvania style of Castlevania game. And so, given how it inspired numerous upon numerous versions of those games, that legacy is pretty much set in stone. As for where, the, where it'll stand in other media, and this is kind of pessimistic just given that they've tried expanding into comics and a few other things, and I, this is coming from someone who also religiously followed the Castlevania movie both being worried when it was first announced that Paul W.S. Anderson was going to do it, but then but then it went to Sylvain White, which I had never seen any of his films, and was very much, okay, but he's working with Iga, so I guess it's good, to then having things fall off permanently prior to the Netflix series. The Netflix series, it's not going to become like a major household name. It'll probably be one of those franchises that'll have a particular niche it's catering towards, but not much else. It'll be kind of in this relegated to the same kind of area as things like Vampire Hunter D or Helsing, where if you want it and you're into that genre, it's there. 
but it's not going to really appeal to anyone beyond that. It's not going to save video game movies as we know it. No, and and again, like I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Like I, I could have easily told you that that series was never going to happen. And yeah, granted, <clears throat> the series is off to a really rocky start, but at least it's somewhat optimistic um, where it's actually going with it. And, and you guys can get that from our bonus episode. As for me, I mean, I'm kind of there with you. If they even did a collection game for me, I don't know if I could support it because of all of the things that we hear that Konami is doing to former employees, current employees, all that stuff. Like, even if they gave me, like, the rarest games in that collection, like, let's just say for the sake of argument, Nintendo never releases any of the DS games on their virtual console. I don't know if I'd buy a collection just to have them for a console. I, I don't know if I would, because Konami just has not earned that with me. I especially didn't like the... I mean, the re the only thing that... Um, and people reminded me of this so often. The only thing Castle Media is remembered for, aside from this new Netflix series, for a long time, was erotic violence. Because that's damn pachinko trailer that came out. And so, to me, that that just kind of... That was the spit in the face to me. It was like, that's that's what Konami thinks of this franchise that has been had so much work handed to it. Although, now that you've brought it up, it, it's always, this has always been a question, and yes, it's a side tangent... I've always wanted to know how Nintendo felt about that naming. How did they feel about an entire genre of games called Metroidvania? It's always been one of those things at the back of my head. I've always wondered, is Nintendo not happy about that? Well, honestly, I don't think Nintendo's really had any major misgivings considering that it's the first half of that Metroid is the first half of it. And really, there's no other way to really call the games that are basically 2D exploration adventure games. And so, honestly, it's just one of those... Because it's not like an actual genre that you're going to find in an actual, like... If Nintendo did a virtual console thing that sorted games by genre, they it's not going to be something that they'll put as a tag. But that's kind of something that's just... It's a colloquial expression to kind of describe games that have a similar feel, much like Metroid and much like the later Castlevania games, starting with Symphony of the Night, where it's more about exploration of trying to find all the hidden secrets. And in some iterations of Metroid, finding all those hidden secrets in as short as time as possible to get the best ending. And so it's not, I don't think Nintendo pretty much has any misgivings about it. It's just one of those colloquial terms that they can't really do anything about. Yeah. So at that point, Here's what I think is going to be Castlevania's legacy, at least for me, and, and you guys can let us know in the comments below whether or not you agree with this. A game with... A, a, a solid game series with good music, because um, those tracks will forever be remembered. I've heard numerous remixings of all of the awesome tracks that have come out over the years. Uh, the fact that an entire genre of games was created by Castlevania. So, like, it's not just... Castlevania games in that vein. I mean, Capcom Strider. Um, I mean, we have Capcom Strider. We have Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. We have so many games that now borrow into the Metroidvania formula, so much so that I actually think even Metroid has adopted stuff from it. Um, that's Castlevania's legacy. But here's the thing. I can't ignore Bloodstained. Um, Iga is still going to be making games that are beloved and in that gothic horror style. And so I, I will think that 
Uh, I'd at least like to think that Castlevania's legacy will live on in those games. It just won't be called Castlevania anymore. So it's going to be one of those things that I'm old in the retirement home, and I'm just like, do you know what Castlevania is? No, I'm I'm playing, I'm playing Bloodstained Four. You know what Castlevania is, and uh, and and know that at least its legacy will live on in a genre of games um, that we will all come to to know and love. I mean, Metroidvania games have pretty much where I I've had like my top three genres of games and thought that would never change. Metroidvania has come in and, and been like a solid number two for me. I, I always will dig out a, a Metroidvania game and, and, and always appreciate them. Yep. And the the so, thing I like about the genre is that it's so versatile. You can be in almost any setting. I mean, you could easily be Gothic horror, like in Castlevania or Bloodstained. You could be in science fiction, like Metroid or the fall or steam world dig. You can even just do high fantasy, like sword and sorcery stuff with games like Eternal blade there. Cause I, I tried finding a lot of other games in the genre to scratch the itch after Konami kind of lost its mind, so I, I'm kind of I kind of have a backlog of titles that I've either downloaded or purchased that are similar in that style because that is a genre that I it's very much one of those genres like regardless of setting it's very much one of those you can pick up and play if you just want to feel like beating up some enemies and exploring very much getting that that feeling where you have to know what's next you have to know okay, now that I have this power-up, where can I go now, now that I can actually access these previously unreachable places? But I'd like to point out one, I'd like to point out one specific thing that you had in there. All of the games that you mentioned, indie developers. Indie has made the Metroidvania, uh, the Metroidvania genre what it is today. I mean, for like the one title that I was trying to think of throughout all of this, that um, I picked up and, and loved playing from minute one was Axiom Verge. And I still love that game. Uh, every time I see it come out, I, I just barely got it for Switch because it just barely came out there. So there's so many games within the genre that you can just pick up, you can play at your own pace, and all of them uh, either will have very solid gameplay or they will have really, really good stories attached to them too. So that that's Castlevania's legacy to me is that this genre will live forever, and even though people will not realize why it's called Metroidvania 10 years from now, they'll at least acknowledge that these are awesome games that are being made, and mostly by indie creators. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, most famously, you have games like Cave Story that were created by one person. Like, that's an example of someone taking their passion and really running with it. Granted, I still have yet to get the true ending on Cave Story, because, well, getting the true ending in that game is... Really, really difficult. Well, and, and again, Axiom Verge made with one guy. So th those are amazing stories to be able to go into and games I'd wholeheartedly recommend. But uh, we are actually over an hour, so we probably better wrap this up. Thank you guys so much for uh, stepping in with us and enjoying Castlevania as much as we have, uh, have had discussing it with you. Uh, I'm going to say this right here now. Does this bar me from talking about Castlevania in the future? Absolutely not. Um... Who knows? Maybe like when we actually come across an, a legit anniversary for the franchise, maybe we'll dig this up again and we'll have some more YouTubers come on and give their thoughts on the matter. But this has actually been a really fun panel and I'm really glad that we were able to make it work. So first of all, thank you guys so much for, for coming to listen to the podcast, to watch the podcast. Thank you guys for supporting Why We Geek as much as you guys do. And if people want to reach out to us individually to talk about our opinions on the franchise, our favorite games, Stephen Romney, how do they do that with you? Well, you can always find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Utah. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Reviews, no apostrophe. 
and I'm also on Twitter at RomneyReviews, and you can also find my secondary home for my videos at vid.me slash studioghost. Yep. Uh, and also... <coughs> Wow, uh, for a second there, I was going to go into the to the Geek News stuff, and that doesn't work. But you guys can also check out Stephen Romney on the Geek News Reviews and Opinions podcast, where he actually joins the, uh, the panel with me every week, every Friday night, to discuss the week's events in Geek. So you guys can check out that as well. If you guys want to reach out to me, you can check out my YouTube channel, which is slash direct2326, and check out all of the amazing content that I do provide along with the podcast. I do Let's Plays, vlogs, reviews, all that fun stuff for you guys. Um, but if you guys want to follow the show directly, there isn't an RSS feed just yet. It's right now only up on YouTube, but as soon as there is one, I will let you know. But as far as suggestions, you guys can leave that at whywegeek at gmail.com. So feel free to leave your suggestions on stuff that you would like to hear us talk about. But I am going to warn you in advance. When I made this podcast, there's a list. And that list is pretty long. So unless you come up with the exact same idea that I think is amazing, you might wait just a little bit while I conduct the panel and all that. So I'm not saying that I don't love you. It's just that there's lots of ideas right now on the list. So uh, that's going to go ahead and do it for us. Thank you guys so much for continuing to love and contribute to the podcast as you guys do. And continue to please like, comment, and subscribe to Romney's work, to my work. And of course, we will see you guys next month as we take on... Another gaming franchise that has an anniversary, but uh, has been going through some hard times themselves. I'm not going to reveal it just yet, but you guys can check that out next. Well, not next month, like the next couple of weeks as we as we reconvene for another episode of Why We Geek. 